Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 82 of the Dance Speak podcast. I think it's 82. I'm starting to lose track here, but uh, you'll see the number on the episode. <laughs> Some of uh, Leanna Blackburn's credits include Britney Spears, Nick Jonas, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Jason Derulo, Taylor Swift, Ricky Martin, Kylie Minogue. She's worked as the dancer and dance captain on Selena Gomez's Revival World Tour. She's been on shows such as Glee, Dancing with the Stars, Hello, Airplane in the Background, <laughs> The Voice, Cirque du Soleil, and X Factor, to name a few. Some of the topics that we go through in the episode include Leanna's mindset around goals. Um, she's accomplished so many, so I'm like, what is your approach? And she answers generously. Who inspires Leanna and has influenced her? The change in how she saw femininity. What it means to be the object versus what it means to be the subject. How Leanna chooses what to take in terms of work, the 30 Club, intention versus attention, the approach that was transformational in Leanna's creative process, the story behind her sought-after body language class, how she built it from scratch, and how she went around self-promoting her way to having a well-known class that is an excellent one to take. Please take it if you can. Do yourself a favor. Health. The background to the Daily Dancer diet and also some fun Q&A around that. And we have a really cool conversation around makeup. That's all I want to say. It's around the end of the episode and especially for my ladies out there, please, if you like listen to anything here, especially that, I, I don't know, I can't go. I will clearly I'm going on about it. But anywho, please enjoy the episode. Let us know what we think. We really love your feedback and are here to serve you and the dance community and all those that love dance. And enjoy. Hey guys, my name is Galit Friedlander. I've worn many hats in the dance world over the last 15 plus years and have created Dance Speak as a platform for people in the dance industry to share their stories and blueprints for success. So listen up and get ready to be inspired, learn something new, and get personal with the people behind the movements you love. So the way that I start is how we know each other. And this is really exciting to me because it lets me know that I'm branching out more, which is exciting. I've heard about you for a few years, especially the juice parlor where I get my acai bowls. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But one of the owners, yes. she was like, oh, you're a dancer. You have to, like, look up Daily Dance. Oh, Leanna, we, like, love her. Oh, hi, guys. I'm sitting here with Leanna <laughs> Blackbird. I'll put it the intro in after. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, But anyway, but, you know, sometimes when people are like, oh, you're a dancer, like, I know another dancer. And sometimes it'll be, like, someone who's not very nice or, yeah. you know, but I heard your name, and I was like, oh, yeah, she looks like I'm into health and wellness. Oh, she looks really legit. I heard about your class. I heard it as a must-take class. So that's a reputation of yours that swirls around that no one would have a reason to bring up to me unless, like, they are talking and buzzing about it. And then I took your class with G. Madison a few months ago, and I was like, oh, she teaches her butt off. <laughs> oh, that is a teacher right there. That's a really nice thing to say. Yeah, I mean it. And I'm so happy to have you here. And um, Lucy, who assists with the podcast, reached out to you. Thank you for being down. That means the world. Thanks for reaching out. I'm I'm <laughs> always honored to be thought of for anything. I'm like, really? Me? Okay, let's go. Let's talk. Yeah. So 
Do you mind? You don't have to say how old you are, but do you mind if I ask? I'm 32. Love it. I love my age. I, I love, love it. I love getting older. Like I remember when I turned 30, people were like, "Oh, I hated when I turned 30." I'm like, "Why? I'm celebrating life. Like I yes. life keeps getting better." By the way, I'm 30, so I'm not far Yay, behind. 13. Yes. <laughs> and I refuse to hear anything negative about it because I'm like, this is this idea that society has that they have us living into this over the hill idea which is just not the case (laughs) unless you went over the hill for some reason I was turning 30 I was teaching a class and like one of the girls was like oh yeah yeah 30's the best blah 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 and I was like how old are you she's like 20 (laughs) what yeah but I was all these great that's kind of awesome though that a 20 year old was assuming 30 was the best yeah because I feel younger kids think 30 is old yeah. Like, oh, that's, you're old. Like, what? It's, good. it's just getting started, people. I love it. <laughs> Where did you think you would be at 32? Like, when you were, like, 10 or 15, what did you think 32 would look like? I was not a person that painted my future. Was not. I've always been so in the moment and very open to different ideas that I never had a particular artist that I wanted to dance for. I never had... Like, oh, at this age, I'm going to have a family. I never, I never did that. I was just, was so, what do I need to do right now to make sure I stay happy in the direction that I want to go? And then it keeps changing. That happy keeps changing because I'm not stuck to expectations of, you know, what I've painted for myself. So I have no clue. (laughs) I love that because I feel like I'm starting to come to that and um, it's like putting my toe in the water. Like, is this okay? Because I've always been taught that you have to have specificity is key and have that that vision. And right now I'm following my happiness and I find the road is building with me. And then I also think there's something to be said about like specificity. Where do you think that I'm, worked for you? I'm getting that as I get older. I'm getting more fearful as I get older, which is frustrating. Because I was like, when people say, what would you say to your 10-year-old self? Like... I'm like, what would my 10-year-old self say to me right now? Because I need the little kid in me back because I'm getting older and I'm getting and I'm getting that, oh, I'm married. Okay, I want to have a family. I do. I want these things. Those mm-hmm. are part of my happy. Like, I do want family. But then I'm going, oh, but I don't want a family with the lifestyle that I've had. So I do recognize that I need to change my lifestyle to get to this new level of happy. So then I do start to see these expectations and those start to piss me off because then I go like well that's holding me back from you know something or that's just making me nervous or whatever so I am gaining that as I get older and and the more I understand entrepreneurship and business the more I also understand you need a goal you need that specificity because if you're bringing a team on with you you need to be able to lead with goals in mind so I'm I'm learning how to find that business aspect would keep the artist in me alive because the artist in me was the person that never was worried about the future. <laughs> so were your parents like Zen Buddhist or how? <laughs> My parents Buddhist? don't understand how I am. But I'm very. I have a lot of similar characteristics, but at the same time, I am. I do have very different ways of expressing myself. That my parents are like. Where did you get all this? Like. You're so expressive. You're so vulnerable. You talk about your feelings. Like, where did you get this from? I think my dad's a lot like that, but a little more undercover than people would think. But they're both art in the arts world. Like, they, you know, my mom does fashion design and taught 
Oh. How to, you know, make clothes. And my dad's in the in the graphic design business. So they both, and neither of them are American. Like, Where are they from? So my dad's from England and my mom's from Jamaica. Yeah, unexpected. That's so dope. <laughs> so growing up, I would grow up in Florida. And you used to the face that I just gave. <laughs> That's so yeah, dope. Yeah, so everyone's like, what? I grew up in Florida, but I didn't grow up as a typical American family. And I didn't recognize that until I moved to California. I didn't know that I didn't have a traditional American upbringing until later. That's so crazy. So growing up, my parents are from Israel and Argentina. And I was acutely aware of it I'm from sure. people asking me where I'm from. This was when you were in New York? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember being a six-year-old. Like wow. People asking me where I'm from, which now I, I, I think it's an exciting question to get asked, but... Then I wanted my parents to make macaroni and cheese. Like, I didn't want... They were also super healthy. So I didn't want, like, our buckwheat noodles with pesto. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I was the one with the easy mac. (laughs) I wanted that. I'd go to my friends' houses and they'd be like, do your parents feed you? Why are you eating all the cookies? But at this point now, are you grateful that they were like that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) We find it somehow. So circling back to... Growing up in Florida and just going with your happiness, what was your dance training like? Because so many dancers come out here and they can be a little bit all over, trying to book everything and sometimes this and that and dabble and blah, blah, blah. Like, Mm -hmm. you had to, I don't know, like, what got you to Britney? Oh, to Britney? (laughs) That's so funny that you say Britney because Britney is a a thing that I would thought was past my time or before, Mm -hmm. not past, sorry, before my time Mm -hmm. because I grew up with Britney, but that, that generation of dancers I, I thought was before me. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't ever see me being a part of her thing. (laughs) So that was a very, that's a very interesting story, but, um, I grew up dancing at a dance studio and teaching, not teaching. I, I did start teaching at my studio, but not till I was later, but just all styles. I wanted to do hip hop at a really young age and I wasn't allowed to. Like you had to do ballet till a certain age. You had to be a certain age when you started hip hop, but I wanted, I was like funky kid. I wanted to, I didn't love ballet, but I was pretty good at it. Like people would say I was very graceful and they liked me being in ballet and I did point work and I did all that, but that was because my studio required you to be training in all styles, which I'm so grateful for. I loved all of it, but I was like, I want to be funky. Like I, I wanted to move out to LA and be like the token white girl. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to be funky and that just, just didn't happen for me, which is fine because I, it's so interesting how you can paint this picture for yourself, but not realize that the way your work life takes you really doesn't have any representation of your talent at times, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm not, I don't judge that I'm not good at hip hop or I'm not funky. I just know that the way my career paved me, it didn't go in that direction as heavily as I maybe thought it might. Or had played with the idea. But I think other people might get down on themselves thinking that defines their talent. And I know that has nothing... I just know it has to do with my casting and the way I dress and the way I am. And, like, I... You know, it's led me to different types of work that I never thought would have led me to. And and as they happen, as the other, other jobs have happened, I recognize, wow, that really is something I do really like. You know, and I might not have knew, knew it before. So it's been interesting. But the Britney story is funny because when that job happened, (laughs) I'll never forget being in rehearsals 
and us learning the original slave choreography. And I just started hysterically laughing, just like in the middle of rehearsal, just could not stop laughing. And then the laughter turned into awkward tears. And I was just like, what's happening? Oh my God. Like everybody was worried about me for a second because it was a little frantic. Like it was a little frantic energy and I'm not usually, I don't usually come off with that energy. And then all of a sudden I think everybody, because only a couple of the dancers on the job that I did had danced with Brittany before, but a lot of them were new to her. And I think I kind of allowed everyone to tap into the reality of, I'm sure everybody in that room had had some point of thinking they want to dance with Britney or what would it be like to dance with Britney? And then, and then I kind of gave them permission to recognize like, this is a big deal. Like this is a huge moment in everybody's career. Even if you try to be like cool cat and you're like, Oh yeah, no big deal. I was, I just started crying. Cause I was like, I can't believe I'm learning this original choreography to this iconic, you know, artist and part of the dance industry. And everybody just allowed everybody to kind of have a moment. People are like starting to cry and just like recognizing like, yeah, we're here, like learning the original choreography. This is crazy. But I, it was a, it was a fun moment. It's like, yeah, this is happening. This That's is cool. Awesome. <laughs> what do you think was most instrumental, if you could pinpoint it in your training over the years that prepared you for the jobs that you did and that you continue to do? My training, I feel like my, the human in me has been shaped by my dance teachers as well as my parents and the people in my life. But I do think it's not, it has nothing to do with like just my training in the studio. I think that my mindset has been what has trained me to get the jobs. Like regardless of, I, I have been trained in a lot of different styles, but I do feel like it's the people that I've had around me to help shape the human side of me and the mindset and the, and that has helped me not feel like the jobs define me or I'm good enough or not good enough. There's always just more work to be done to get where you want to go. And so I don't know. I don't, when you say the word training, mm -hmm. I don't even picture in the studio. I don't picture the hours and that, that's just like part of the job. Like that's just the prerequisite. Like you have to train your butt off. But what I feel like has been different for me maybe is just the people I've, that's been around me and people that I've seen that have totally changed me as a person that's helped make me believe I could do it. And also just, I've just never saw another option. <laughs> Not that that's like, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to kids now, like mentoring kids, I, I definitely say like, keep your options open. But I also feel like in the same way I wanted to do this, there was also, I always kept my eyes and ears open to different options, how you could still do that. Mm. If there's not one path, you know, dancers may, might think like, I want to go on tour or I want to be in music videos. And then you get here and you realize there's so much more. There's so much more that you don't know about, or you didn't see that could still mean you're making it happen. It's just keeping your options, like keeping your ears open and your eyes open and your willingness, but with your intention first. I think the industry can really start to make you question yourself or make you question like what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And I think as I get older, I find myself asking myself the question, is this part of my happiness or is this part of my intention? Is this the message I want to send? Not just for me, but 
the being a part of projects. I'm like, do I want to be a part of this project that sends this message? Do I want to be attached to that? Do I want to spend my time there? Do I like the people that are involved? I'm not just thinking about the title on my resume. I'm thinking about the time spent in the in the work. Is that part of my happiness? Mm-hmm. Or do I just am I just waiting for rehearsals to be over to be on stage? Like I want to know if I'm gonna love the process. And that's where I wanna be at. Oh my god, I love that. So in, so engaging when you speak. So I'm like, wow, where was that? No, <laughs> I love it. What's your mindset beyond, or more specifically, um, now? Hmm. What was it when you started working industry jobs in LA? You moved here when you were 17. Yeah, I started. I was very lucky to start working pretty young. I I was very quiet though. I was I would start working jobs with more experienced dancers and I was listening Mm. and I was making sure that I was paying attention to what they were doing that I that I believed in or that I you know saw as being inspirational like leaders and people that were making stands in the industry and people that were part of Dancers Alliance and I was really gravitating toward the people that I saw being leaders in the industry Um, so I I was just learning a lot I was learning a lot. I never saw myself as being a leader. Interesting. No, I was just constantly like, I want to learn from those who have led and those who are making impact and people that inspired me. And sometimes you find out that the people that inspired you from afar don't inspire you up close. Word. Which is okay. Yeah. Totally okay. And I think it's, it's, and then, and vice versa too. Like sometimes you're not really inspired by someone from afar and then all of a sudden you get to, and you're like, Whoa, you know? So, so it's been interesting to just continuously keep myself around those leaders who inspire me in different ways, creatively, entrepreneurship wise, like in all different ways. Who would you say is like in your circle? Who are the people that you look up to? The first, person that, the first person that comes to mind is Tony Testa. And it's interesting because he's not, it's not like he's much older than me. We're on a very same like age, but for me, I see him as such like an old soul. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he hired me on my first big world tour. He hired me on Kylie Minogue. And I, I just, there's something about his work ethic and he's very similar in the mindset to Wade as well Mm -hmm. and I also trained with Wade before I went on tour so Wade and Tony have been the two like very strong leaders in my life that have inspired the way I want to create watching them create is on a whole nother level you don't see them focusing on cool moves you see them diving into um a character and a feeling and uh, almost like paying homage to something specific. Like they... Can you give an example? Um, like, for instance, I did a piece for Tony where we performed at LACMA and I was the only girl, which right away I was like, oh my God, you want me to be the only girl? Just freaking out. Uh, <laughs> with all these like incredible male dancers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were representing fish in the ocean that are you know dying and um the men most of the men represented fishermen and myself and what Jonathan Redavid represented fish um and we were 
um, insane. Like we were a couple and, um, fish, the, the fish that we were very monogamous and were, you know, and, uh, the fishermen were trying to tear us apart. And so we had to go through the scenario of like being lovers, being torn apart by fishermen and then literally being slaughtered and put into tuna cans. And we actually went through that emotional, the whole journey in the, in three minutes or whatever it was. I mean, I, I remember at the end of the performance just could not stop crying because I felt like I had been destroyed and like put on a shelf for sale. Like I could feel it because of how he creates the piece. It was so real. And he, in, he invites that, that energy in the space, but he creates that, you know, the type of movement he seeks out is from probably watching tons of videos on fit, you know, fish and not maybe dancers, but wants to embody the truth of the movement. But what's interesting about that is there's no, there's no direct replica of a human dancing like a fish. Like there's only interpretation there, which leaves your brain open to so much more freedom and less judgment. Because if you're trying to compare yourself to another human dancing like a human, there's expectation there. Mm -hmm. But if you're a human moving like a fish, there's complete freedom there because it's your own interpretation of what that is, which is so interesting. And I feel like both him and Wade do that. Like they, they just embody a different side of creation that is so interesting. It's <laughs> amazing. It's very interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. So inspiring. And it's so nice to hear because I feel like, I don't want to take a negative, but <laughs> I see a lot of um, movement that looks very similar now. And it, to me, reads surfacy a lot of the time, and I start losing hope a little bit, or I start feeling like my hope is very buried now for what I see within more like the hip-hop and jazz funky genres. And so even just to hear that is like a breath of fresh light. Um, and then for you, what's your creative process like? Mine has shifted really recently. Um, I have... I never... Sought out being a choreographer. I've always been a teacher, but I haven't been teaching with a specific intention. I've been teaching just because I love sharing and I love I love watching being a part of growth. But now, when I started my body language class, which started like a year and a half, over almost two years ago, um, that completely relieved the pressure of creating because before that when I would go to studios or choreograph you know when you choreograph for a studio they are probably competing it and they want to win and there's this expectation on the other end of your creation and you're also working with kids that might not move the same way as you and so it, it wasn't common for me to be moving with pe peers or common for me to be creating on people that are in the same mindset as me so when I started body language, um, I was really doing it because I missed moving a certain way. I missed moving um, with a very powerful embodiment sexually and mentally. Like I just wanted it to be like how I felt when I was dancing in Harlow Gold, which is a burlesque show I was a part of that Tracy Phillips and Dominic Carboni choreographed. And I was in this show for years and they completely changed the way I saw myself like they completely changed how I understood femininity and sexuality and empowerment and their show was about not being the object but being the subject Ooh. 
And so it totally shifted my perspective um, of myself. I had so many insecurities that shed when I started doing that show, like body body image problems. Um, because the costumes I were dancing in were very skimpy <laughs> and I wasn't used to being that exposed, but they helped me recognize that it wasn't, even though my skin was showing more so than not, it was more my intention that was showing that was what was important. And so they taught me how to love myself in a very specific way and how to recognize that by just being boldly yourself, that's the most empowering thing you could do. Like, the people that would come to that show were women that were empowered. Like, it's rare to find women going to a burlesque show not feeling down about themselves. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I wish I looked like that. But they were empowered by it. And that was exciting. So when that show ended, I felt a void of that expression. And so I wanted to move how I wanted to move. And I wanted to empower women. And I wanted to have that intention behind movement. So when I started body language, I, for the first time ever teaching, understood I'm teaching with a clear message here. And anytime I create, the only important thing for me to remember when I'm creating is, is the message. What is the message of this class? And it's always intention, not attention. God, I love that. Intention, not attention, which is so hard because usually when you're creating, you're like, What's a better move here? What's a better move? Move, move, move. What's cool? Move, move. And with thinking intention, not attention, I brought the actor in me out and I was able to go, what am I, what do I want to say with this song? What do I, like when I choreographed a Dirty Diana, I was thinking, mm. okay, when I hear this song, I feel, I feel dirty. I feel like I want to be this dirty girl that he's talking about that sleeps around. And I initially go to this, to this place that I think is the representation of Dirty Diana. So I was like, what could be a new intention for us to, to picture? What could be a different point of view? It's so theatrical. I love it. I'm very, I think very acting. I love it. I definitely, it. Yeah, that's, that's another thing that's changed my mm -hmm. dancing. But so I came at it from what's the intention here that I could shift perspective on Dirty Diana. And so that led me to create the movement instead of being like, oh, this feels... I want to touch myself here and I want to be, I want to throw myself at him. I was like, no, I'm the right woman. Me, Dirty Diana, believes I'm the right woman. Mm. And so I'm not coming from a place of pleading or needing. I just know that as me, as I am, you're, you want me. So I didn't feel like I needed to do more or be more or throw myself at you or be overtly aggressive sexually I knew that just by walking away I know you're gonna follow me and so it changed the way I created for that song just by a simple intention switch so does it unlock the movement you would say yes because I'm trying to be I'm trying to tap into the, the character and the intention and that gives me the movement and I'm not ever I'm not judging the movement mm -hmm. like when people say oh I like your choreography I'm like to me, I don't even see it as choreography. I see it as just as a part of a story. That's and it, that's allowed me to feel free in the creation process because I'm not going, is this move right? Because if a move feels wrong, it just means my intention's wrong. Mm. I'm doing it to get somebody's attention. I'm doing it because I think dropping in this position is what people will think is cool with this musicality. I'm like, no, 
If I'm worried about that, my intention's off in this moment. Let's go back to the intention. What do I need to be doing here? Oh, I need to be just be walking away. Oh, I need to be doing this. And as soon as I think about that, I free myself up of what the move should be and I and I and I let choreography come as conversation. That's beautiful. What have you take on an actor's approach or maybe it's a dancer's approach ultimately but that's like good acting technique to figure out my intention and then let the lines come it's 100% acting training is what changed my life and a home like in the way I approach that I trained acting not to pursue acting but because my husband boyfriend at the time was into it was training and he's an actor and I was so interested in what he was doing. I thought it was so cool, the approach. So I started taking class, and regardless of dance industry, I mean, it changes your life. Acting training changes your life. It's all about listening and responding, and you recognize how much you don't listen when you're talking to people and how much you wait to talk and how much you want to be heard and you're really not listening. And so acting training forced me to learn how to listen and to respond truthfully in the moment without having like not sugarcoating but understanding that you can be truthful without being mean (laughs) I think a lot of people are like oh I'm either gonna lie and be nice fake nice or I'm gonna be honest and it's gonna hurt and I feel like acting helped me understand how to use my voice and be honest but still be kind which helps in relationships in life like Honesty is always key, but people always feel like honesty hurts, which isn't, I don't think is true. What's funny is I've learned over time, the less that you cover things up and just say what's there, a lot of the time, the thing that you're so scared to call out or say, it by itself is fine. People can really deal with the truth. It's the stuff that we use to cover it up that gets weird. But it's like, it's all about how you say it. It's true. Because I can say, I don't like someone's shirt, but I could also say it in a different way mm-hmm. that you don't have to be like, I don't like this or I don't, you know, yeah. you, you, there's always, I don't want to say manipulate, but there's always a way to strategically change the way you say something so that you still speak the truth, but you don't do it with malicious intent. Yeah, that's the intention. <laughs> ah, so then going back to actually, so your teachers, so this all sprouted from Tony Testa Wade drops in this conversation. Yeah. So I want to know who else has inspired you or who do you keep in your circle, you know, because you referenced that as being so important and I agree. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't feel like I'm really in the circle of an industry mm. anywhere. I'm, I'm very connected to my husband. I'm very connected to my family. And I am very connected to dancers that, are, that are, have, I've found through work. I've been lucky enough to find amazing dancers that inspire me as humans Mm -hmm. first. Um, But, like, if you say, like, a pocket of the industry, I don't feel like I I resonate with, like, that. I just have... I've found so many people on dance jobs that I've kept as friends. Yeah, that's what I mean. Kind of the people that... Are you like your support yeah, system? Yeah. And how do you do? You have family in LA. I do. Outside of your husband, okay. Yeah, my husband's family lives mm-hmm. in LA, so you know Sundays are at the. You know, I just Sundays. feel when I see a lot of my other dance friends that aren't from here, I feel like I'm almost living two different lives, just because yeah. 
they don't have, they don't get to have family here. And I, and I get to go, no, I'm going to see my niece and nephew or no, I'm going to go, you know, do these like regular things, um, that I feel most people have to fly out of town to experience. So I think that is a big part too. Like I'm, 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 my world is everything. My world isn't just the industry. My world is my home life, my, my, and that's my daily life. You know, I, I have my husband, I have my home, I have my business, I have my family and they're all, even though my personal family is in Florida, mm-hmm. I still, it's hard for me to connect with them as often as I want to, but that's a goal I need to, I need to really work on. I, <laughs> I want to connect to them more. I yeah, relate. Sure. How do you balance things? How do you get so much done? And do you have any recommendations around that? I am in constant fight for balance constant it is definitely not something I was just talking with this about about this with somebody yesterday because people I think see me and think I've found balance <laughs> like I, that is like my focus every day how can I find more balance I do want to be very productive and I find that a friend of mine I also find that it's the word choice and you use that can shift your perspective like oh I'm really busy I think the word busy can make you feel frantic. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine was like, you know what? I shifted the word busy to productive. And I was like, I love that. And now every time I want to say, yeah, I'm really busy, I go, I, I feel like I've been very productive. I feel like I want to have a productive day instead of a busy day. And I think productivity, even just the word, changes the energy around it. And you feel you feel more powerful than you do frantic. I think the word busy is like a buzz, like this constant. I train people to, (laughs) subconsciously, I train people to understand that I'm a busy person, and then now I try to never use the word, and I can hear it so loudly when people use it for me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, I really convinced the world that I'm busy, but that's not the word. It almost feels like there's a scarcity in it, like not enough time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have um, any systems that you live by to also make sure that you get things done or are you just like, you all just get it done? I think my biggest thing is, for me, a lot of people will say very kind things. Like you, when you have an idea, like you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people have a lot of ideas and then they don't follow through with them. Now I have a zillion ideas that I haven't followed through because every day you're spinning with, you know, your wheels are churning and you're like wanting to invent a million things. So I'm always like, I have a million things that I haven't done, but you just see, you see a few things that have come into Mm -hmm. the world, but I'm just, you know, like everybody else with having ideas that don't follow through. But I think that I allow, I force myself to start something before fear gets in the way. And that's been a big thing for me. So like even just starting body language, like people ask me, how did you start your class or whatever? And to me, I, I, I didn't allow time to wait for dance studios to give me a spot in a class lot like at a known studio in town I was like that was my next question I booked space at evolution mm-hmm. and I was in talks with edge because I did perform I did do the edge scholarship program and so I have like I have roots at edge mm-hmm. um, so I had been talking with Bill about doing a class there but it just wasn't happening quickly enough he obviously has a million other things going on, so it wasn't at the top of his priority list, but I wanted it to happen. And I didn't want to go begging on dance studios doors. I didn't want to be like sending my resume out everywhere and just like waiting for, and I didn't want to be 
I didn't want to be imposing saying like, this is good. You should have me here. I was like, I, and I think that would make me, that would make me more afraid to do it. Like it would build more fear and then it would build reason for me to think I wasn't good enough if I got rejections from all these studios or whatever. So instead of putting myself in that position, I saw teachers were renting their own space and just doing their own classes. So I called Evolution. I asked if that was okay, if I could just rent space from them. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, and I can charge people my own class rate? Like, what's this all about? (laughs) Uh, I was like, cool. Okay. So instead of me waiting to let someone else tell me I wasn't good enough or whatever, I just forced myself to do what was the most uncomfortable, which is self-promote. That was so uncomfortable for me. It would be more comfortable to be on a class list at Millennium and have people see me on a schedule that already has hundreds of thousands of followers. That's guaranteed viewers. That's guaranteed eyes on your, on at least options. You know, they can come and then go, oh, I'm never coming back to that. But at least you have a guaranteed audience Mm -hmm. if you're on a class list at a studio like that. I didn't have any guaranteed anything. I had a few thousand followers, but it wasn't like I was, you know, a a YouTube celebrity. So it wasn't like I could teach anywhere and know people were going to come. I knew that I had to do a lot of personal self-promotion and reach outs. What did that look like? Instagram, all over the place. Direct messaging on Instagram. I was finding dancers all over the city on Instagram, reaching out to them personally telling them about my class, inviting them to my class. I mean, hours and hours and hours of personal reach out on Instagram because I only had a certain circle of people that were following me. You know, I didn't have reach to the people that go and take it all the studios. Like, and then just... did you feel like, so I know like with the people that I have on Instagram and stuff, there's so many people I know that are constantly promoting their classes. Of course. So um, I'd be terrified to then be like, the 10th invitation uh-huh. on someone's uh-huh. weekly inbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying. Was but what I did was I booked the studio space at Evolution. Mm-hmm. Before I got to that place of going, how am I going to do this? I just did the first step, which was put out the first promotion that class was happening. Before I even started reaching out to people, I just went, I'm going to book the space. And Evolution allows you to book like months in advance. Mm-hmm. So I booked these dates, two nights a week, for the next yeah, three months. That's good to you. And I just did it, and then I posted. I, I, I invited my friends to come together with me and do like a mock class mm-hmm. so I could put it on tape so I could at least have like some sort of video of what the class was. So I brought my friends in a room, I did a mock class, had Ryan Parma come and tape it, um, put that video out there, and then just. And, and the other thing was, I called it body language instead of heels. Mm-hmm. I wasn't competing with others' heels classes. Because I had my own class that has its own genre that at the time it wasn't evolved yet. But I think without realizing it, I was allowing myself to give myself class a name knowing that there would be no comparison. Because I remember when I first wanted to start teaching at Edge, Bill would say to me, Bill the owner of Edge, like... Well, if you're teaching jazz and Mandy Moore is teaching jazz at the same time and blah, blah, blah is teaching jazz... How are people going to want to take your jazz over Mandy Moore's jazz? Or how will people know, like, what will make your jazz different? And so I think that always stuck in the back of my head 
And so when I came up with the name body language, I think I thought to myself, like, there's no other body language. I'm not competing against anybody. And I think subconsciously I was doing that, but I didn't do it on purpose. Later I realized when somebody asked me, like, there's so many heels classes. And I'm like, my class actually isn't a heels class. I just teach it in heels, but it's a heels optional class. Like, I, I it's that. not a heels class. It's body language, period. That's what it is. <laughs> and then do you have any recommendations? Because what I a wall that I feel like... Do you mind if I ask you for some advice? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been teaching a while and I've had some cool opportunities. And what I keep on coming up against is like people want to know very specifically what is different about my class and places want me to give my class its own name. Interesting. I'm, yeah, I've gotten this a bunch of times when I, I personally feel for me it's contrived. Like if I taught a hip hop class, it's hip-hop like it's actual hip-hop and you're gonna get this performance component and I have a background in acting so I will pull out performance like there's certain things but I, I feel for myself like it's like running uphill and rollerblades trying to for me do what feels like over specializing my class and what is your what is your class called now no I mean it depends what they want me to teach do you want me to teach whacking jazz funk or hip-hop and then do you, or if a place hired me do you want a fitness focused class towards dancers? Like I can mm-hmm. do so much. So I've been told to narrow it down. And I would say if there's like one style right now, my heart has for a long time been wanting to do hip hop. I don't care how many people teach it. Like it just goes back to that. Yeah. And so I come, they're like, we'll try to like make it a different fusion or this and that. But I'm, it doesn't feel organic for me yet. Yeah. I think that is one of the, most difficult things for a trained dancer to come to terms with the thought of being streamlined in one way because Mm -hmm. growing up in a studio you're most dancers are trained in multiple styles and feel very proficient in multiple styles and feel like they're a chameleon and feel like they can be we're trained to be able to do whatever's asked of us and then we come out here and people go, well, how can I cast you? How can I sell you? Because I'm looking at something yeah. that wants to be everything, but what are you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hardest transition for a, a multi-trained dancer to understand that even though I'm doing body language, I know I can still do a million other things. But also, body language is still, is still um, ambiguous. Yeah. It's just that word body mind. language is still ambiguous. Yeah. It's specific because I've just put a, I've put a purpose on it. I've put a mantra on it. Intention, not attention. Mm-hmm. So just saying body language, dancing with intention, not for attention, period. I could, I could teach a whacking combination in the middle of my body language combo. I could teach a more hip hop. I can do whatever I want in that under the umbrella of just calling it body language. So I don't think it's about needing to push out what you feel is you. I feel like it's just giving some sort of meaning to the purpose of how you teach or how you, or what you really want to be teaching intention-wise, mm-hmm. not style-wise. Stylistically, people are coming to take your style. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's as much about, oh, it's hip-hop, it's this, it's that. It's creating... Uh, an intention with you and people will learn to to expect oh when I come to take your style 
it could maybe be a little more hip hop this day. It could be a little more whacking day. And all the things that you're proficient at are embodied by you. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if I teach a body language class, it could, it, it, I'm, I'm going to choose to change it in the environment. But people are hiring me to come teach body language now. But I go, okay, what's the age? What's the this? What's the that? And I change my combo per environment. But I don't let the person hire me as a specific style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like now people, but yeah. back in the day they always were like, oh, can we have you come teach a commercial jazz class? Can you have, come take hip hop? And that still happens. And now people are still also seeing body language as just a heels class. So they're like, oh, this isn't for kids. I'm like, no, I can teach body language for, like this is not a heels class. Body language I could teach seven year olds because I'm talking about dancing with intention. I just happen to be wearing heels in all my videos because I'm teaching professional level videos. Like the videos people see online on my classes in LA, but I'm teaching body language to 10 year olds, but they're just not in heels. Yeah. Oh, it's such a, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, I've, I've gotten so frustrated trying to find it. Cause I, it also has to be organic. Of course. And I'm like, where are you? Where's my answer? I think it's more of going, what, what is the meaning behind my one hour with these people? What do I really want to leave them with? You're not coming in to leave them with moves. No, be unapologetically yourself. So maybe there's something there. Mm. Maybe there's something there with just unapologizing, being that, even just taking that way you, your instincts went, being unapologetically yourself. Mm-hmm. Write that down, remember that, and go, maybe there's something in here that resonates with the title that I want to move forward with. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for letting me indulge in this. I'm like, huh. But that's good yeah. for everybody because yeah. I, I mean, constantly I get dancers going, I'm a gymnast, I'm an actor, I'm a this, but people tell me I just need to focus on acting or I just yeah. need to focus on dance. And look, ne- I don't think you ever need to just focus on one thing, but you do need to speci- specify your casting. You do need to specify. It doesn't mean you stop behind the scenes training your ass off on a million different things. You keep doing that. But it, like like even body language, it's going to take me a while for people to understand body language isn't just a heels class that, you know, it's going to take some time. But you just start somewhere and then you allow the process to unfold as you want to. But I think people are so afraid to specify. And I didn't learn that until I started like understanding business stuff. Yeah. And I guess my fear is that there are, I'm afraid to give examples of names because I don't want to throw anything under the bus, but there are a lot of classes that are like multi-hyphenate stylistic names. Uh-huh. So it'll be, it'll be like, I'll say it to you and I might blank it out. Not hearing <laughs> anyone's class, but it'll yeah. be like jazz funk crunk, crunk strip hop. Yeah. I don't think it's about using dance styles behind the name. Like literally for my example, body language, right. you have no, nobody has any idea what that means. But it what works. does that mean? But you know what it means, yeah. but you don't. Yeah. What is that? But I kind of, I, I assume what it means, but I don't know what it means. And worst thing would be that I'm wrong and I learned to refine it from there. Of course. What, um, so when you started, you booked out the space and you promoted the class and then were people showing up right away? People were, I mean, I probably, I have a lot of very nice friends. <laughs> So I had a lot of like nice friends coming and showing up for class, but what I also was getting was the friends that were my age or older going, this feels good. Oh, good. You know, and I got the older dancers going like, this feels good on my body. Like this feels good. And I was like, it doesn't it? It feels good for me too. I'm just doing, cause selfishly I felt like I was just doing what felt good for me. Doing what the void that I was missing from Harlow, I was doing that. 
So whenever, you know, I got the dancers out, I'm like, don't worry, you don't need to bring knee pads. Like, we're not going to be, you know, it's going to feel good. But we're going to train our butt off. Like, I do a full warm-up. I go across the floor. Like, I'm not just jumping into a combo. So it is, there is stuff that's hard in it. Um, but you you know that when you're coming, you're not going to be, like, breaking yourself when you leave. You're going to be sweating like crazy. But I think that... I was recognizing that the older dancers were like, this feels good. I'm like, cool, does it? Okay, cool. But then I just had to keep, I mean, I'm telling you weeks and months. I still do it now. I still reach out to people personally. I still find people on Instagram. And, and they, sometimes people are like, how did you find me? I'm like, because I found you in a class video and I think you're amazing. And I think our, ener- and I can tell from a video if our energies will match. I'm not just reaching out to random people. Like I'm legit doing social media research, watching their, the classes that they take. I sound like a stalker right now, <laughs> but everybody does but it's it. So real. Everybody no, does social it. Media is out there like, for a reason, let's, though. let's be real. Everybody yeah. like will find somebody's account and, and like an hour yeah. later, you're like, I saw all your videos. Um, I do that work and I reach out to people and I do what's so uncomfortable by saying, I would love for you to come to my class. Cause inadvertently what people hear is, Come spend money. Come give me money. That's what they inadvertently hear. And that's what I don't want to ever feel. I'm constantly like, I would like to share your energy. I want to find people that believe what I believe. And I want to build a community. And that's what I feel like has been making it easier for me to do what's very uncomfortable, which most people think of as, oh, I'm asking them to come spend money in my class. I'm asking them to come pay for something. And that is what I was afraid of feeling like. I was asking people for money. And I'm like, I'm not though. I'm asking to find the energy. I'm asking to build the energy and build a community and build a safe space for dancers to explore. And that mindset is what helped me make it more comfortable for me to reach out to people or ask them to come to class. And then if they come and they don't come back, I'm not going to keep asking them to come back. You know what I mean? It's just once you come in and you see the space, you decide if you want to come back. But let's that's also why videos are so powerful too that's why the whole class video thing is very powerful because if I'm gonna go spend money on a class I'm gonna watch it first and see if I want my energy in there Mm -hmm. you know and then if I'm on the fence about it I go okay regardless of whatever I feel like I'm assuming from the outside I need to experience it for myself regardless of what the video says I need to give myself the benefit of the doubt to give my own like opinion on it from experiencing it you know but I, I mean, I'm still doing reach outs. I'm still personally reaching that. out to people on Instagram and finding new people. And, and it's still like, oh man, but it's made a difference. It's really, and, and not waiting to have a class slot at studios and just doing it and pushing and not thinking about, because I think if I was thought to myself before I started the class, like I'm going to have to reach out to people. I would be like, no, that's terrifying. And I would, give, I would have given myself all the reasons of why that wasn't who I was. Mm. But I go, I just booked the slot. I promoted the class. And then I was like, how am I going to get people there? This is what I have to do. I just have to do this. I'm just so scared of um, being the class that doesn't work out. And I love hearing what you're saying because you don't know unless you do it. Yeah. And sometimes I have five people show up. And other times I have 40. You just don't. And that's the other thing, too. You can't judge the week by week because everybody has lives. Everybody has stuff going on. Like, your class isn't always going to be full unless, you know, you are really, really known. And, like, so many people know about you that you have so many people deciding on whether to come in that one hour or not. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have a big pool of people knowing, if you don't have 
the people knowing about your class. There's no way you're going to constantly be full if not enough people even know what's happening. You just have to get, let people know what's happening. And with social media algorithms, just by doing one post, it doesn't mean everybody knows it's happening. You have to directly contact those people and let them know it's happening. Because you can't just assume by one post the whole world knows. They do not know. They do not know. You have to take that extra step and put yourself out there. And it's scary, but it's so worth it. (laughs) Do you have any programs or books or anything that's helped build your business acumen and understanding of social media? Um, I love Gary Vee. Gary Vee. I like him yelling at me sometimes. He is so to the point. He is so vulgar. He's like the... Like, I want to talk like that. Like, I think my instincts go... Because he's a New Yorker. My instincts... Or New Jersey. Yeah. My instincts are there. Like, if if we were having this conversation, like, five years ago, I would have been that vulgar. I was that Mm -hmm. girl. And then... So, he he feels like there's, like, this Gary Vee in me that's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he just is like, no BS. Like all your excuses are just ridiculous, (laughs) ridiculous. So him, he constantly is inspiring me. Um, Marie Folio, B school, like, did you do B school? I signed up for it and I started it at the beginning of this year. And then I honestly, like I used it as a template and I just have like ran with it and I know I'm going to go back to it, but I... I hate saying, like, no, I didn't finish it, but I actually, I took a lot from it and was able to um, get balls rolling, like, really quickly this year with just, like, a couple of things. I think she's amazing. All this stuff. Yeah. Awesome. How do you introduce yourself at parties? A little context, because it's so hard for me when I do more than one thing, they're all connected, I'm passionate about it, so not dancer parties necessarily, but parties, yeah, how do you introduce yourself? At well, parties, this is such an interesting question. I, you mean if people ask me what I do? Because I introduce myself as my name, the okay. end. Okay, I get... Or if, you, if they're like, what do you do? If yes. they provoke the question about yes. what do you do for a living? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. It doesn't mean like at the club, like just a gathering, uh, meeting someone else's family, anything. Do you not get asked what you do? <laughs> I do. But I think my response is very catered to the environment. Mm-hmm. So if I'm with family, I'll say I'm a dance teacher, choreographer, dancer, like a professional dancer, choreographer, teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm, oh man, that is such an interesting question. It is so catered to the people I'm what around. What if it's like LA, you don't know at all what I do, but... I seem like I might be important. I'm like, what do you do? I think I would, I would say that. I would say the same thing. I would also probably say it's, it's a very long-ended question, I think, because oh. I'm also shifting my worlds, and I'm bringing multiple worlds together right now. I'm bringing my, my health enthusiast side of me with my dance. And so if I'm, if I, like recently I was at a birthday party and we were in open conversation with the, what do you do? Wasn't just ended with a one sentence. Um, I was saying what I'm excited to do more of, which is, um, more like, what are you working toward? What is your, that is answer easily, or that's a question more easily answered for me is like, I'm working toward bridging the gap of a holistic living approach with the dance 
um, with the dance training because as a dancer, I can't not enough. <laughs> yeah, you're like your head's like bobbling over here, like bobblehead delete on the on the corner. My head's about <laughs> to fall off. Just bobblehead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's it's not. I mean, I get messages all the time on Instagram from other dancers all over the world that are like, "Thank you. I've been." I've been, you know, dealing with bulimia, bulimia. I've been dealing with this, any skinny fat diets because I want to be skinny to be a dancer. Thank you for being the example of living a holistic lifestyle and being a professional working dancer without harming your body. Mm-hmm. Like people legit write me stuff like that all the time. And I'm like, I have to remember that I was in that place at one point. Like I was that dancer that didn't specifically have some sort of eating disorder or something, but I have body dysmorphia. Like I assume most, like most dancers have some, some speck of body dysmorphia just from the amount of hours spent staring at your body in the mirror and small, like that is not normal. It is not positive mind (laughs) games to play from childhood. Just like look at your body, look at it move, look at it, all these things. So that idea is what I'm the most inspired about right now is involving the holistic approach to building a dancer. I love this topic. Um, I did, do you know Maria Lankanen? So she does yoga for dancers and we did an event at Movement Lifestyle like two months ago, health day, health and wellness day. Yes, I heard about this. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And so this is a conversation we're having all the time, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know, do you have any ideas on how can the health enthusiasts within the dance world unite? Because just about everyone I've spoken to, it's kind of like, oh, I'm doing this, oh, I'm doing that, I'm like... Separately. Yeah, there's, there's an unlimited amount of space to cover and dancers to share information with, because the conversations I'm having and the questions I'm answering, I'm so happy to answer them and happy that they get asked, but a lot of the time it's such a fundamental, basic level that I'm addressing, and I'd love for us to have more advanced conversations, so like, how do we even get there, so... But to have the advanced conversations, you have to be be already living the fundamentals. Right, Most people aren't even living the fundamentals. Right. So all that to say, I, I have a, a visual in my head of all the health practitioners within and around the dance world, like in different geographic spaces, how can we spread our net wider? And I really believe it happens when you connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? Like, how do we work together? I've definitely never thought about that. I think that's super, super interesting. Because I, even just on social media, like I have, I have been connected with a lot of people all over the world that are also dancers also doing similar like with this living with the same goal and purpose maybe it's just about having like a convention and and I don't mean like a a traveling convention but like a one year where like dance and slash health enthusiasts come together you know for a weekend and we just brainstorm and we talk and we just literally literally create a space for like-minded people, whether it be over the States or over the world, come together and just have a conference and we can bring like speakers to you know, like how else to do it than just have an event that draws people together. Yeah. And so my brain goes to having it on a smaller level, like the, yeah, like a local level, local level. Mm -hmm. And then 
Building branching it. out or having it at a local level, Los Angeles or even the Valley and saying, hey, to our people in New York, this is what we're doing. You want to match it up and then we can mm-hmm. have a, you know, find what are the main concerns that we're addressing? What are our resources? What do dancers need to know that they don't know? Because I would love to geek out and then talk about the more advanced concepts that there is no clear answer on. Or I know. I think that's super interesting. I think that's that's definitely worth looking into. Yeah. Because I'm having those conversations with people all the time, but they're not a collective conversation. And they could be really powerful in a group full of, like in a big room full of like-minded people. Oh, that's a really and it fun might be idea. going on right now, but it's like we don't know. About we it. don't know about it. It might be. It might be. Um, but I know that I remember hearing more around it with and body care with the ballet modern contemporary community. But hip hop classes and hip hop dances and industry was so new when I was started training. Yeah. Like most studios didn't even have it. So my theory is now you have people heavily training in hip hop related styles, and you don't have as much as a framework in place. Look, eating, eating has, is so personal. Yeah. It is so cultural. Yeah. It is, eating is such a sensitive topic. People get really, really defensive with their food because it feels, they feel like you're attacking their life and the way they live. It's a very sensitive subject and people still see it as a privilege. People see self-care as a privilege. Mm-hmm. So it's about re- it's about like retraining the mindset to understand that self care is is not is not a privilege. It is it is literally a mu- it is number one. Like taking care of yourself is priority number one. Yeah, absolutely. And it it's it, the simplest when you're when you have these advanced conversations about like molecular level of how celery affects your this. Like when you're that far into it, which is where I am, I geek out. I'm like. Just knowing like how celery affects me on an empty stomach versus on this or that, like crazy. But that's so far past the just the simple mindset that self-care is priority number one. Like that's even that could be spent two years just trying to get out there to the dance industry. Like that alone is a hard sell. <laughs> you know, it's a hard sell. How do you um constantly increase your knowledge on nutrition and food definitely podcasts my husband geeks out on facts so I got him jumping on the bandwagon um and he is he's the kind of guy that I talk about how it makes me feel he talks about the numbers and the facts so we're a good pair because sometimes I'm like oh it feels like this and he's like yeah but in in you know science it's this and this and this I'm like exactly yeah but it feels really good um, so he will geek out on reading and listening to podcasts. And so we share information that way and we self experiment like crazy. And I visit different doctors. Like I was just in San Antonio. Like if I hope, yeah, like I keep, I don't, I'm very committed to people that I work with that I know that you need to stick with something for a while to see a difference. I'm not the person that just tries it for one week. It's like, that didn't work. You know, I give it months and I commit fully. So I commit when I'm seeing different doctors and stuff, but I want to keep learning. So I was just in San Antonio and, you know, once you start putting the energy out there, it comes back at you in so many ways. So I'm always attracted by new people being like, oh, have you heard about this type of approach and this type of this? And so just when I was in San Antonio last week, I met with a, a guy and I learned so, and I just feel like it keeps 
my path keeps going. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm definitely meant to be here right now. I'm dead. Like everything piggybacks on the next thing. Even just me. I just started taking, um, like breath classes, breath work classes because my parents smoked growing up. I would always hold my breath around them. I obviously started dancing at a young age. So I always had my gut pulled in. I was always breathing up in my chest. I never took a full breath in my stomach ever. I notice now that when I walk around, my abs are engaged. They're tight constantly. Like I'm in Pilates mode at all times. I am never taking a deep breath. I am never relaxing and allowing my whole diaphragm to sink ever, ever. And when I started teaching all the time and started to lose my voice, I recognized I had no clue how to use my voice and I had no clue how to breathe fully. And so for my birthday this last year, my husband bought me privates for breathing classes. And just even in that session, that one and a half hour session with this woman, I was like, oh my God, I think breath work has so much to do with the missing puzzle of my health because I'm not even allowing oxygen in. I'm not even fully allowing my body to like get oxygen. And so it's not repairing probably no. So all this work I'm doing on healing and eating and this and meditating, I'm still not breathing. And that's a whole nother piece of my puzzle. And then when I saw the doctor in San Antonio after my breathwork class, he was like, you're not, your blood cells aren't getting enough oxygen. I'm like, of course they're not. You know, it just like all makes sense. But if I went to that doctor five years ago, he probably wouldn't have said anything about my breath because I would have been in a different place. So it's just so interesting how like you never stop learning. Like there's, and every day you would get a different diagnosis. And that's why people are like, oh, have you figured it out yet? Like, people ask me that all the time. Have you figured out your health stuff, you know? Because they know I have, like, gut issues that I'm working. Have you figured it out? I'm like, figured it out? This is not, like, a this is not a temporary situation. Like, my figuring it out is till the day I die. Like, that's, the, that's what's exciting to me is every day will be a new diagnosis. And I'll be constantly listening and figuring out that day <laughs> and my body that day. <laughs> yeah. I'm realizing that this year I I got so used to always like remedying something that was wrong and I'm like what if I go and get work you know acupuncture when nothing is wrong I'm like oh I get to thrive and I think you know it's always like you go to a doctor when you're injured or you go get massage therapy when you're injured I'm like oh if I do it when I'm not injured just like beautiful maintenance Yeah. yeah whoa magic shows up so can you tell just if So that one person listening who doesn't know what Daily Dancer Diet is, like, just break it down. Just real simple. Well, Daily Dancer Diet is my, started as my, as an Instagram handle. It started as my visual journal of my journey, of this transition from very, very unhealthy, processed food eating dancer that was defensive toward food and only ate fried food and sugar, did not expand, was very picky on like the negative side, only would eat sugar and processed food, got very sick and realized I needed to shift and no doctor was helping me shift that. And I had a lot of friends that were doing a more holistic approach. And so I finally caved and, <laughs> and started tapping into that approach. And a couple years into that, I was recognizing people all around were constantly asking me questions. What are you doing? What are you eating? What is that? What's going on? So I was like, let me just put it somewhere. So I started Daily Dancer Diet as my visual journal of my experimentation. And it has just 
it's constantly transforming into other things. And now it definitely is a business of mine. Um, that is basically what I said earlier, like bridging the gap of why a dancer isn't looked at holistically. Um, the training of the mind, the body, the spirit, the health, you know, the maintenance, it it can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, it's, it's my, um, it's my approach to training. Mm -hmm. It's my, you know, I do in-house studio intensives with daily dancer diet, but they're called the new norm. And it's a one day where I hit on all the topics that I think are pivotal for optimal health. And so it's, it's mindset, it's maintenance. Like just what you're saying, like, why don't I go to have acupuncture when I'm not in excruciating pain? Like we need, the dancers do their therapy when they're hurt, Mm -hmm. but they don't do it to make sure they don't get hurt. So it's that idea of like, what is your maintenance? And what is your maintenance protocol? And the things we don't even think about. It was my mom who pointed out, um, why don't you look at something holistic for your PMS? Because I'm not like, I could just take ibuprofen for a day, breathe through a lot of pain and everything. I was like, I didn't even think to address it through. No, most people don't. So I'm getting acupuncture for it now. We're going to find out. There's also, there's so, oh my I God. I know also dietarily, there's a lot so that you much. can do. Cycle syncing with food. I've heard about that and I've heard about seeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pumpkin seeds, sesame. Yeah. There's a whole different thing. seeds for different days, something. Yeah. Okay. There's a book called Woman Code. Oh. That is all about learning about your four different, you know, time, t- uh, your four different cycles during the month and how you can be in control. I mean, I'm constantly... I was on birth control for like since I was like 13 till I was 26. And when I got off it, my body was a crazy mess. Not to like get into that, that's a whole nother topic, but like it's important. That's intense. Like the hormones in birth control are intense. And when I went off of it, I took probably two years for my body to normalize. Mm-hmm. And even from then, I realized how many issues were being held dormant from being on birth control that I now had to deal with. And I was thinking to myself, what if I just went off and wanted to get pregnant and then realized I had all these issues and here I would be like getting pregnant with having all these issues come to surface. Like, mm-hmm. And honestly, like I do want to start a family, but there's so much of me that's going, what in the heck is happening in my body? that I wasn't dealing with or paying attention to for so many years. Like I need to figure my body out before I even try to house another human. Like it's insane before having a tenant, (laughs) before having a tenant, before having a roommate, like, and it's, and it's, it's intense. Birth control is really intense. And I'm, and I constantly get women all the time that are telling me that they've gone off and how depressed they are and how like their whole world is like shifted because it really does affect you in a crazy Hormones way. are everything. They're everything. I did it. I was on birth control for a year just because I was, like, done with my PMS and stuff. And I didn't realize, in addition to some other things, that I was mildly depressed while I was on it. I wasn't diagnosed, but I was mildly. I just know it because when I went off it, I felt, oh, I feel like myself again. And I didn't even realize I wasn't myself for a while. And then mm-hmm. I read a book that actually broke down what's happening hormonally in your body with birth control. Versus just hearing, like, oh, it's bad for your hormones. And, yeah, and my doctor, every year I go for my checkup, I just went. 
she asked me how I am, still, you know, crazy PMS. Now everyone knows about my PMS life. You're welcome. And she tries to get me on birth control, and she tells me I'm tripping, but... It's... I know. I know. And I've been dealing with acne issues for a long time, and every time I would go back to my gyno and be like, well, if you got on birth control, I'm like... Yeah, but then I'd be like, something. I'm like, no, I would rather spend seven years trying to figure it out and like get to the root of the problem than not. Oh, these are amazing. Also, when they they're find balance, amazing, yeah, they're amazing. I had a listener question, which was any recommendations for um, eating healthy on a budget, like on a super budget, on the cheap. Yeah, you know, organic is a big thing. People are like, oh, buying organic is so expensive. There is a thing called the Daily Dozen, or the Dirty Dozen Mm -hmm. and the Clean 15. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be a great start for when you're trying to shift to being healthy, to not going, okay, it's either all organic or non-organic. I believe that healthy starts from the ground. I believe that healthy starts from the farms. And so where I'm at now, I'm not just going, oh, you just need to start eating more vegetables. I'm like, yeah, but if you're eating a ton of vegetables with a ton of pesticides on them, it doesn't really, it doesn't really solve the problem because I do believe that hormones are really affected by the toxins. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth starting with, yeah, buy organic, but maybe check every year. There's a new Dirty Dozen list. There's a new Clean 15 of the things, and you buy the main things you buy organic will be the things that are on that Dirty Dozen list. And like really make sure that because that means those are the dirtiest produce and they change they do they change it every year. So I think that's a great place to start and not go, oh, I have to buy everything organic, you know? And 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 then I also think it's meal planning. Because I think that people waste a lot of money throwing out food. So they might because when you buy fresh produce, it goes bad quickly. And if you're not planning how to when to eat that, they're tossing it and they think they're wasting a lot of money because their food is going bad. I think the best thing to do is you go grocery shopping the day you plan out three hours to meal prep for the entire week. If you get into meal prepping, you will save, you won't even know that your grocery bill is more expensive because you are saving so much money throughout the week of those times where you stop and pick up and spend $8 at Starbucks, $8 at this, blah, 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 blah. You think you're living on the cheap, but you're not. You're wasting money by buying food on the go. If you meal prep, you save so much money. Your produce won't go bad because you've already cooked it all. Like, I am such a believer of a meal prep. You know what's crazy? So forever I didn't do it because I enjoy just cooking and somehow manage it. And I realized that's one of the links. Right now I have more on my plate, so to speak, Mm -hmm. like work-wise than ever and I've been in an inquiry how can I maximize my time and I'm like oh yeah meal prep forgot that existed 100% and it's I almost want to cut that out because I'm a trainer but no like for me it worked not to meal prep for years and now I'm seeing oh or even if three days ahead time if you have the time to cook every day it has not time so the meal prep is the answer <laughs> Meal prep is the answer. And people see it as, oh, but three hours in one day. I don't oh, have no. three hours. But if you if you were to literally punch on a clock, yeah. the amount of time you spend waiting in line, the amount of time you spend trying to think of what to eat, where to go, what to make, you waste so much time. Yeah. The meal prep is the answer. I cannot stress it enough. I, it's... And yeah. the indecisive part resists it and covers up reasons because... Then I have to be decisive. 
on what I'm going to eat, but it's great. Well, the thing with that, so I think people associate meal prep with making a meal that they eat that exact meal every day. Mm. So the way I meal prep is I meal prep items individually. Yeah, how do you meal prep? So I don't, I don't make like, you know, I'm going to make a lasagna and then I'm going to have a lasagna every day. Yeah. I'm cook items individually. So I'll maybe, I'll maybe, <laughs> I'll, I'll make cauliflower and broccoli and things separate and I won't even maybe season them or I'll maybe season some of them but then every time I open my fridge I get to decide how to put each piece together so I'm making a new meal every day but it's already pre-made and I'm just I'm just putting them together so you're not being stuck with having the same flavor component every day and the last thing is the seven days in my fridge I don't feel good about because I feel think feel like things aren't the same after like three days but um, I don't believe that mm-hmm. I, I, I will eat something six days later, okay. but it depends on what it is. Like a salad, for example, I like to have salads all the time. I'll bring, I'll meal prep a salad. If I'm going to teach on convention for three days, I'll meal prep a salad and I'll even dress it and it won't get soggy because I don't use any ingredients that wilt. So I'll use only, so I'll make a completely crunchy salad. I'll use raw beets cucumbers, kelp noodles, cabbage, carrots, kale. I'm using all things that don't wilt. And start with a k sound. Okay, start with a k sound. (laughs) Carrots, cabbage, kale, that's good. Um, (laughs) Cucumber. And I will put olive oil, I'll put lemon juice, I'll put apple cider vinegar, I'll shake it up, and all the ingredients are are crunchy. And so three days later, it's not a soggy mess, it just gets more flavorful because you let the you let the seasoning marinate on it. And then if I want to add a wilted, if I want to add a soft, <laughs> a nasty if I want to ask a soft green, I'll just add it that day. Like, oh, I'm just going to throw some spinach on top of this already dressed salad. So. Oh my God. I love it. I love food so much. I'm going to look over. It's 12. Okay. I want to be mindful of the um, out time. I'm going to just look over to see if there's anything burning that I haven't asked. Just about, oh. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just read it. Where have you been met with resistance in your life, in your career, or is there anywhere where you've been met with resistance? If I've ever been met with resistance, it's been personal, by only by myself. Mm. Like I don't, I don't see. Even if I have been met with outside resistance. I don't see that as truth. Um, I think resistance has always only been from any personal fear. Like, I don't believe that outside resistance um, is, is truth. Like, I just, there's always a way... There's always a way. Were you born knowing this, or have you done, like, life work that taught you? That's so deep. I don't know. I just, I feel like I constantly hear people talking about how people have closed doors on them, or people have said no to them, or people, people, others, others, things, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with you. Like, that's literally their opinion. Like, their, their opinion is not resistance on you. Like if they're, even if it's a particular job you're trying to do and you need one person to give you that job and they say no, that's not resistance to me. 
Yeah. That's, that's, oh, this is actually in the words of one of my very good friends, Martha Nichols. That no is not yet. It's not no. It's not resistance. It's just not yet. Maybe that person knows you're not ready yet or whatever. Maybe you don't know you're not ready. I don't know, but I don't, I don't, I've never felt outside resistance. I feel it's always personal. I'm choosing to think that that's resistance. That's so deep. I was just trying to teach this concept, a similar concept to a nine-year-old. Ah, that's <laughs> in challenging. In time in dance class. It's so amazing working with kids because it's the same stuff that adults go through. It's just more raw and simplified. But a girl was really upset that someone talked to her a certain way and looked at her funny. Yeah. And I was trying to explain to her, it's like, so what? Yeah. And it's not you, and so what? And I knew that like my words wouldn't reach her core. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, what a metaphor for life. I mean, I think it's about control. I think we try to be in control of how other people feel. And as soon as you recognize you are in complete control, you are in complete control of your life Mm. because you are in control of how you feel and you can decide how you dictate your feelings and you decide how you feel about what someone else did. You decide how you feel about the weather. You decide how you feel about the traffic. That is not anybody doing anything to you. You are the only thing that can do something to yourself. Mm-hmm. And my husband's a fun example of that because he loves weather. And I didn't realize how many people put negative, like there, there's just an underlying, oh, rain is bad. Rain means the weather is bad. Lightning is bad weather. Oh, sunshine is good. We have these common things that we think are good and bad. And he loves weather. So when we were on our honeymoon and it was raining in Italy, people were apologizing for the rain. Apologizing for weather. And my husband's like, I love this. This is beautiful. This is rain. This is beautiful. Why are you apologizing to me for something? We're like programmed to think things are good and think things are bad. When you are in full control of everything that you think is good or bad. It's interesting when you start tapping into recognizing how many things people automatically think are good and bad. And we are trained to think that way. We're like, oh man, it's, it's going to be a bad, this is bad weather. This is bad weather. This, and it, but that's like a simple example, but yeah. it's like that with anything. Yeah, or it's a catalyst for something negative. Mm-hmm. He's taught me to love weather. And that's been a metaphor for everything else that when people say it's bad, I'm like, well, is it? I get to decide whether I think that's good or bad, you know? Mm. I have a handful of questions left. I have so many things I could ask you for. Wow. I noticed that you don't wear a lot of makeup. Really? Yeah. Or do you? And it's That's not interesting that you say that. Um, God, I've... Yeah, the makeup is such a hard thing for me. It's like... Can I... I have yeah. to elaborate because I'm yeah. like, that could land so differently. No. I'm used to hearing a lot of the time people feeling like they need to put on a full face. I feel like it's connected a lot of time with heels classes. I tend to feel bold because I don't often go beyond BB cream and mascara. Yeah. Um, you know, I sweat a lot, like, and I also want to be used to my face and then feel enhanced with makeup. So when I saw you teaching class and it's like you, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of almost felt like it was a statement. I was like, wow, she's so confident and comfortable in herself. And 
it almost felt like a choice. And I'm like, wow, she's beautiful. And she's showing people her beauty, not like extra something else. So I don't know exactly what my question is now from that, but I want to know about that or what your relationship with makeup is. It's interesting that you say that because I, a a post, um, one of my original body language videos, like got a lot of traction on Facebook and somebody, a lot of my friends started tagging me and I don't read all the comments, but a lot of my friends started tagging me in this one thing because somebody was saying, asking me why I wasn't wearing makeup or like asking, saying like somebody was like talking smack, like not one of my friends, like just some random post was like, well, it would be good if you like did your hair and wore makeup or something like that. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like I, I had never... I feel like you do you. I have never, I don't think about that. I don't think about getting made up for class. I love that. I don't think about, I also performed for so many years and got very used to looking at myself in the mirror with a lot of makeup on. I was doing shows night after night with big eyelashes, with tons of stage makeup, and I was getting very used to thinking that was my beautiful. And when I got off tour with Selena in 2016, I got a sty in my eye and I was forced to not, and that was going from like show after show and stage makeup and being like, this is my beautiful. This is how I look beautiful. And then I was like, okay, well I can't wear eye makeup to heal my eye. And then I, so I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, and at the same time I was doing things like I was going out and I was going to events and I was like, I'm making this, I'm like, I'm going to make this my look. Like I'm not wearing eye makeup and I'm a very pale skinned light facial hair like I draw my eyebrows on because I don't my eyebrows are like pale 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 like they're the color of my skin so when I'm the difference between me with makeup on and without is very different almost unrecognizable whereas a lot of other people they might not have that big you know they might already have bold features naturally so when they put on mascara it's not a big difference but for me it's a big difference I look like a different person so it's much more obvious when I don't wear makeup. So when I got off tour and I, I, I started going, okay, well, I'm going to these shows, I'm going to events, and I'm not wearing eye makeup, it's going to be part of the look. And I then, when my style healed, I was like, let me see how long I can do this. And I gave myself a challenge of like just continuing to not wear any eye makeup for like a month. And then I just kept going. Because at first I started to feel, I started to feel like this was the ugly side of me. You know what I mean? Like when I was first doing, I was like, oh, this is a, I was like, okay, this is crazy. I recognized right away that I felt beautiful only when dot, 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 Mm -hmm. only when I was this, because that was the norm for me. My norm was full face show makeup. So I used that time to like switch up my mental reaction to what I saw in the mirror and to having no different between at home life and going out. And that was a big shift for me. And then at the same time, I was in a different place in my health journey where I started understanding toxins and and, and makeup. And my friend introduced me to this place called the Detox Market in LA, which is all like non-toxic skincare product and makeup. And so I went there when I had this eye in my eye and I was like, oh my God, I, I didn't realize like how terrible skin products were and skincare and makeup and here I am caking on makeup in the middle of shows I'm sweating I'm reapplying just like I'm damaging and your skin is the largest organ like hello it's I could not believe I wasn't I wasn't under like taking that into account in my health journey so when that all happened I started 
redoing all of my makeup. I slowly but surely, it's a very expensive transition, so I did it. I was like, what's the most important thing? Okay, my 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 um, compact was the most important thing, because that was everywhere. And then the next thing I thought was most important was my mascara, because that goes into my eye. And then the next thing was my lipstick, because I eat it. And so I slowly like started replacing all the, all the makeup, but non-toxic skincare doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of coverage because it's clean. Mm -hmm. So there's no way for you to cake on non-toxic makeup. So then I went through a whole year of retraining even what makeup was to me. Mm. Because even when I was wearing makeup, it was no it was nowhere near what stage makeup could ever be. So then my normal became what would look what you would think would be not me really not wearing makeup, but I was wearing makeup. It was just non-toxic skin like non-toxic makeup, but it just doesn't have the same coverage and it doesn't have that same look on it. So now I train myself to understand what makeup was to me. Now makeup still has a fresh face on it. Mm-hmm. But so I'm wearing makeup to class most of the time, but it's non-toxic skincare and it doesn't have crazy makeup. You know, I'm it not looks like you. I it's think. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is. I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not putting on lashes. I'm not getting lash extensions to try to make my eyes look open or more awake. Like, you know, and that's that took a process for me to retrain after 15 years of having crazy stage makeup show after show. And now, like yesterday, I did the Teen Choice Awards. And they put lashes on me, and my eyes hurt. I mean, I was, like, in physical pain. I do for, not like fake lashes. I, but I lived in them for years. Like, and I was like, this is my beautiful. You know, this is my beautiful. And I had to retrain that, and it took me a long time. And now now I'm on the other side of that. And now when I do a performance and I need that, I'm like, this feels... I look at myself, I'm like, who is this weirdo? Like, I'm like, who is this crazy person? But I think it's fun because I love jumping into characters. So then it just makes me get into a character and I feel like I'm acting and it's fun. But my eyes hurt last night. Like, legit hurt. LA has a lot of full-on camera makeup walking around all the time. And for me, it challenges... I mean, partially it's that I sweat a lot and I'm on the go also all the time. And to me, it's just like putting on a lot of makeup doesn't... It's not bad. You also have beautiful skin. Thank you. Like even just from opening the door, everybody sees everybody sees their own insecurities <laughs> in other people. So for me, my insecurity is my skin. So the first I was like, she has beautiful skin. She never if only and my thought was, God, if only I could just be that naturally beautiful with my skin complexion. And that's what I always see in in, in people, you know. I'm and I'm like, at, she's so put together. Oh like, my I love gosh. Her outfit. It's no, so, funny. so stressed about my skin all the time. And so for you to even say that, it is, is, it really does mean a lot to me for you to say that because I'm still wearing makeup in class. When I dream about my future, it's dreaming about the day I can be comfortable enough not wearing makeup. Mm -hmm. That's like, but obviously that's a part of my healing process. I still have skin issues that I'm working with, but I want to be able to be bold enough to not wear makeup even when my skin's really bad. I want to be bold enough to, to be at that place. And I know, I think people already see me doing that in a way and I talk about it I'm open about it but it's still a part of the process I'm still I love that you're so real about that it's hard man it's hard it's so interesting that you say like LA though because I have like dancers that will go on model castings and they'll show up full face and the models will look just like you because to be a model you need to not wear any makeup Mm. And here we are thinking that we need to be a model and put on so much makeup, whereas the models are not wearing any makeup. That's true. The model is the fresh-faced woman. 
or male, like they're, you know, obviously if they're doing editorials, if they're doing shoots, if they're doing runway, of course they're gonna have a look, but that's the look. But them, if they're coming in for a casting, they show up with a fresh face. Like that's how models audition. And then here the LA people is like, ah, my fresh face is stage face. But it's also asked of us. You know, they say come camera ready. So we begun, we begin to think camera ready is how we need to be all the time. Yeah. Which is not true. But Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where do you draw your boundaries with work? Um, they shift constantly. Mm-hmm. They completely change with where my goals are at the time. So if I'm trying to like right now I'm I'm focusing more on my personal business and you know, my husband and I building a life together instead of separate. We've been very separate for like eight years. We're connected like crazy, but we've had very separate lives. And my goal is to, is to blend our lives together more so that we can create a more consistent daily lifestyle so that when we do bring in family, when we do have a family, we can feel like it's more in our control because my, my work in the past has been very dictated on somebody else's schedule. Okay. If I book a job, I might not know where, when I need to be where. It's been very out of my control schedule-wise. Um, so I want to be more in control of my schedule. And that changes the way I say yes or no to jobs. And I look at a job as, okay, is this in line with what I'm working toward right now? Is this, am I just doing it because I think I need the money? Am I just doing it because the ego part of me wants to say I'm on this job and wants to show I'm working? Do I want to do this because I want to be around those people? Do I think I have something to learn from those people? Is this going to be a new type of experience for me? So I ask questions about not necessarily always what the job is, but is it in line with my goals at the moment? And how do you say no to a job? It's pretty easy for me to say no now. The Mm -hmm. last like three years, because I'm honest. I think if I know where I'm saying no from like I remember there was a uh I think I was working with Ricky Martin or something and they wanted me to continue on for something and I knew that they were probably maybe going to be a little offended by me saying no thinking that I didn't want to continue with them or something was wrong with our relationship and I was like no like my husband and I we want to buy a house we want to do this this like my reasons for saying no were legit my reasons for saying no had a purpose, mm-hmm. had another purpose. And it was clear that that path would have taken me away from the purpose that I was leading toward. So I think whenever you're saying no to a job and you are worried about saying no, it's because A, you might be saying no for a reason that you feel um, might be hurtful to the other person. And you need to find the place of why you're saying no for you and being true to you. Do you give them the reason? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think if it's if it's not something that's hurtful to them or if it's a good if they need to know, if they need to learn of why it's hurtful, they need to know why it's hurtful. It's always about how you say it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's always about being honest. There's a way of being honest without being completely transparent. Mm-hmm. So you can still be honest and say, 
I, I love the energy. I've loved what you've done for me so far. But right now my goals are this and it's not exactly, you know, it's going to steer me in a different path. And I'm really working toward this right now. And that's not fully in line with where I know I want to put my energy. But I love you for asking. I thank you for this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate, you know, because I think a lot of people end up feeling pressure from people that have given them work over and over or something that they feel like they have to say yes because they feel like they've given them their career and it's, you know, they're not grateful if they don't say yes to every job, but you have to, you have to say yes to yourself. Yeah, that really, that really nails it. There was a book I read called Minimalism and that completely shifted my perspective on how to say no because it's basically like, if you don't 99% want to do something, you say no. And that's very, you recognize how many times you say yes to things you want to do, like 5%. Mm-hmm. You realize how many times you say yes out of guilt and you're not being truthful to yourself and your priorities and your purpose. And it, that book really, really shifted a lot of things for me. Do you have anything you'd like to share on the topic of love? I feel like the dance world, the idea, at least when you're single, is like, no one wants to settle down or I'm too busy or I can't have a career and blah, blah, blah. Like being in a place of, I get a lot of love come from, like comes from you and you're in a marriage. Anything you'd like to share with the dance world on love? I definitely have a lot of love in my life and I've always been a seeker of, of relationships. I've always been a seeker of, um, intimate relationships. I've never had like tons and tons of friends. I've had close friends and I've been in relationships since I was young. I've had boyfriends since I was young. I've just loved connecting with people on a deep level and I get, I'm very open vulnerably and I think sharing honesty and things that you think are dark sides of you are the ways to find love Mm -hmm. and being open and I think people are afraid to be open because they think, oh, if I'm open then I'm available to getting hurt but it's actually, if you're open, I'm available for love. Mm. It's, of course, some things might hurt, but love love is all of the things. So if you're afraid of being open because you're afraid of being hurt, you're never allowing love to come in. Like, you just, you just you can't. You just close completely. So it's just about thinking, I want to be open because I want to be available for love. And I, I think that a lot of people in the industry find that they they are focusing on themselves and they don't have time to focus on somebody else when they're really not focusing on themselves. Mm. They're focusing on a career. They're focusing on booking a job. They're focusing on the industry, but they're not focusing on themselves. You can focus on yourself. And by focusing on yourself, that means you're, you're, a relationship is you. Your jobs are you. Your training is you. So focusing on yourself doesn't mean you're closing doors to your relationships because who you are is based on your relationships. So when people say, I don't have time for that, I'm like, you're, you're, not, fo- you're, not, fo- you're not focusing on yourself. You're focusing on one part of your life. You're focusing on the industry. You're not focusing on yourself. Mm. So there's always room because the relationships you have in your life, I'm not saying they have to be like marriage love but even relation friendship love like love is in friends focus on that love because that will only help amplify every other aspect of your life i love it um is there anything that i haven't brought up 
so many things. So, so many, many things, things we can talk about. <laughs> but that, like, you'd feel if it's not talked about. Like, oh, okay. No. Oh, my gosh. You were so incredible. Okay. And don't mind the noise in the background. Just keep it <laughs> so yard, real. The yard work. It's a hundred years from now. You're chilling on a cloud. Or you're chilling in Hawaii. I love you're it. Just I'm taking, just 132 You're 132 in Hawaii, in Hawaii dancing <laughs> and drinking green juice. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be known for from the work of your life? Loving. I love, I love where we left off with love. I think that that's the most powerful thing, like being open and sharing love and inspiring through love and touching people's lives through love without um, result, you know, without something particularly I want just Mm -hmm. love without attachment is what I hear yeah but attachment to like what it brings yeah that's a phrase that recently I heard like I am completely committed yet unattached Mm -hmm. and that's something that has been resonating with me that I want to live by sorry to give it away that commitment and attachment tend to be collapsed as the same thing but they're so off they're the complete opposite it's insane yeah, that makes me feel like your question again about whatever being known for it would be also like living a life of example, like being actually living what I'm talking about, living like, and I'm constantly focused on that too. I'm constantly putting myself in check. My husband does it for me too. He's like, you're telling all these dancers you need to do this. Like, remember to do this for yourself because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm doing it so much for other people. I'm like, no, I have to do it. Like I, the only way to teach is to teach by to live by example like 100% and how can people follow you support you learn from you yeah oh no 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 oh I I was like yes (laughs) by by living by example that's how they learn (laughs) I didn't leave a breath between it oh social media handle best way oh daily dancer diet yeah 100% a daily dancer diet yeah online too like website like if you're teaching everywhere I have a class at Edge on Tuesday nights at 8.30 to 10. That's body language. Then I have a body language 101, which is a more beginning level body language at Debbie Reynolds on Tuesday at 5.30. And then I do pop-ups and workshops. And I have a body language intensive that I do called the body language experience. That's a very intimate, exposing experience. That's five days long that I'm loving doing. Um, Yeah, and I travel around and teach and... That's awesome. Yeah. I want to thank you for coming here today and taking the time, the energy, because these interviews, I know it takes a lot to look into yourself yeah. and, and share so many things in a row. And for who you are, I really get that you care so much about other people and you put yourself out there for a bigger picture. So thank, thank you. you. That means a lot. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to our Dance Speak podcast. For inquiries, suggestions, comments on your favorite guests, or who you'd like to see on the show, please email us at dancespeakpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-N-C-E-S-P-E-A-K-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And check back in next week for our latest interview. Thank you so much.